This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello and welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, the pastor of Shiloh. Uh, we're located at 185 Eddie Robinson Senior Drive in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. If you're listening to this podcast and uh, you're ever in the city of Baton Rouge, we certainly encourage you to come by and share with us for a Sunday morning worship experience or for a midweek Bible study experience. We call this podcast Thrive. This is uh, actually the second such recording uh, that we are doing right now. Thrive is an acronym. It stands for Transformative Thinking, Helps Ministry, Renewed Relationships, Invitation to Evangelism, Visionary Worship, and Excellence in Administration. We believe that in the year 2018, uh, it is incumbent upon us as a body of Christian believers uh, to do more than simply survive, but to actually thrive. We believe that this is what we are called to do. This is the second uh, podcast uh, that we have done. Uh, We want to do this on a weekly basis. We see this as simply another opportunity and a rather creative opportunity uh, to share our gospel witness and to try to make it relevant uh, to the things that are going on within our community, our state, our nation, and our world. And I am delighted today to be joined uh, by uh, the young man who uh, helped to develop this podcast vision for our church. Uh, His name is Terrence Turner. Uh, Terrence is the head of our audio video ministry here at Shiloh. And uh, Terrence, welcome to our podcast. And uh, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, As a director of audio video ministry here at Shiloh. Why don't you explain uh, part of your responsibilities here at our church? Um, Well, um, I guess a big part of it is just um, keeping, keeping the, uh, the, the media vision uh, on task. Um, When, when I first came, I I envisioned more than just um, putting on um, just a a regular television broadcast. Um, I wanted it to feel like something that you would actually want to watch. Um, a lot of religious programming, you think just that is just, you know, religious programming and there's no personality in it. So I wanted to make sure that uh, the programs had names. Um, they're on the, they're listed on the channel guide under their name. Um, they're branded properly. Um, I, I, I wanted to make sure that it, it really felt like an actual episodic television show that you would actually tune into. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm responsible for. Um, quality control as far as just making sure that what hits the air, whether it be TV, radio, podcast, um, it's, it's done a, in a very professional manner. Um, I don't like to just slop anything up and you have to take it serious. Let's talk about that. Uh, over the last five years, uh, Shiloh's uh, audio video ministry has grown uh, rather substantially. Of course, uh, prior to uh, our coming to serve as pastor under the previous administration of Pastor Charles Turnbull Smith. Shiloh had a radio presence on local radio here in Baton Rouge. We had uh, a television presence uh, with uh, recording of our Sunday morning 
uh, worship experience called A Time of Harvest. Uh, we have continued with those, but we've also expanded. Uh, we have a second uh, weekly television broadcast called A Closer Look, uh, which deals not with the Sunday worship experience, but deals with the midweek Bible study experience. And uh, it has uh, been well received by the community. Uh, we've also gone to live streaming and uh, uh, people from around the world are able to view uh, the Shiloh worship experience uh, and uh, participate in our worship of the Lord in a corporate worship manner. And uh, we're grateful for that opportunity. Uh, we are on YouTube uh, and uh, we had an app. Uh, we're, we're having to rework the app. We have a website uh, and uh, you're able to get much of our broadcasts and our music ministry and our preaching ministry through our website. Uh, and, and now we're moving into the podcast. Did I miss anything? Did I get everything? Um, no, I, I think you covered, uh, covered all the bases. Yeah. So I know why it's important to me at, at age 56 uh, that I try to uh, take advantage of every avenue of social media available to us. Uh, as a younger man, a man in his early 30s, uh, tell me your, uh, your thoughts about the importance of uh, taking advantage of uh, media uh, as we try to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I think it's, it's, it's going to move into a larger scale. Um, I think just being able to reach people, um, no matter where they are, a lot of people may not um, have the opportunity to come in person. And I think this really opens up the church to a bigger scale, uh, a larger scale with people. Um, taking advantage of social media, we know everything is on computer now. Everything is on people's phone. And we have to move with the times. You know, we can't be stuck in, you know, 10 years ago or 15 or 20 years ago. And I think a lot of people, um, whatever industry you're in, but especially I think even with the church, they, we, we, we kind of get left behind because we don't envision why that's important. So these things are important because if the mission of the church is to reach other people and, and spread the gospel, then, you know, you have to reach them in, in their venues. And... I think that um, I think we are doing our part in that. You mentioned the um, the Bible study program that comes on every week. They actually get ratings, which is you know the the sales rep that we deal with actually told me that's unheard of for you know a paid program, especially a religious program, and at that to um, receive ratings. And I can't even take credit for that. That was your brainchild when you said you wanted to do a Bible study in the evening. So that was your brainchild. That's not my idea. <laughs> I always give credit where credit's due. Appreciate it. But I think just moving forward, just as as more people are just, you know, technology has moved more to a more personable state. Um, it's not just about how many people are physically coming to, to your church, but how many people are participating, even if they're far away. You have members who are in the college realm who may, they may go off to other states, other cities, but they still want to participate and be and be active in their church home because they may be gone for four years, but then they may come back home during that time they want to feel like they're not missing a beat so with us being able to live stream 
They can now, you know, tune in from their phone, from their college dorms, if they're at, you know, if they're in school and they can still be in church every Sunday and they can feel like they're there. Um, the, the app you mentioned that we're in the process of getting that restructured to, um, to, I think, fit people's, um, fit with people's software better. Um, I have a few things that, you know, as it's getting developed, I want to add that in as well too, where people maybe even can get notifications on their phone where it's, you know, you can add things to your calendar and it notifies you and say, we got choir rehearsal tonight or, or Bible study or, Sure. You know, even if we, I know you're you're in a series and and two of your Bible studies now, so it, the app could actually send out a notification saying, you know, part twelve of of the series is going to be tonight. You don't want to miss it. So just these things, um, keeping up with with how people live their lives because technology is so sewn into our lives that we have to adapt with it. One of the things that that, that uh, I find advantageous about uh, what we do, let, let's take the. Uh, the Sunday evening uh, broadcast, which deals with Bible study. It gives us an opportunity to reach people beyond the walls of our church. And, you know, let, let's be honest. Uh, these these uh, Bible studies take place on Wednesdays. We, we, we offer two Bible studies on Wednesdays, one at noon, one at 6.30 p.m. And uh, one of the things that... that you are challenged with is getting people who've been to work all day to come to Bible study at 6.30 on a Wednesday evening. Mom and dad have been out all day. Kids been at school. Kids involved in extracurricular activities. Kids don't get home till 4 o'clock in the evening. If then, if there's extended day, it might be 5 o'clock. The idea of parents uh, coming home, wolfing down a meal, getting back in the car and driving to the church to take place to, to to participate in Bible study. That's an old-fashioned idea. Now, when I was a kid growing up, that's the way we did it. We we lived in the church. Uh, you know, Monday night was free. Friday night was free. Every other night, we were at the church. It was choir rehearsal. It was Bible study. It was something else going on, and and that was a part of our lifestyle. But in the year 2017, uh, as much as we might. Uh, try to promote it and hit on it and even try to guilt people into doing it on Sunday morning. You know you need to come to Bible study and uh, so forth and so on. Truth of the matter is, uh, parents make choices and, and they have uh, uh, more options available to them today than uh, they had in my time and certainly uh, in, in the time before me. There was a time when people went to church because they didn't have nowhere else to go. Uh, but these days, People have all kinds of options. They have uh, uh, their social organizations. Their children are involved in all kinds of extracurricular activities. It's not just sports activities, although certainly they are involved in that. But they're involved in a myriad of other activities. And, and church has to find its place. Bible study has to find its place on the agenda of these people's lives. Well. Uh, one of the things that that the television broadcast and hopefully this podcast uh, will do is provide us with opportunities to reach people uh, that are more accommodating to their schedule rather than uh, insisting that people bend their schedule to the church. It allows the church the opportunity, the flexibility uh, to to have their schedule bent to those people. Uh, 
What do you think about that? Um, well, I mean, I, I think that's just what we're supposed to be doing. I think, uh, like you said, uh, um, a lot of people are steeped in how it used to be. And I think um, there's a, I think anywhere you go, people are stuck in, in tradition, stuck in rituals. People, people by nature, I think, like to, you know, continue on how things are. You know, you hear everybody say, you know, it's not how it was when I, when I was growing up. Right. Right. And this is true, but I'm at at some point in time, things society is going to shift. Things are going to change, and I know you've made mention in this uh, uh, more than than one time where the church was the the cornerstone, especially even in the black community, because there weren't a lot of places where black people could go. Sure, you know, and and that that seemed like a forgotten time, but I mean that was that was maybe what a generation ago. Yes. so it wasn't like it's just ancient history. Yes, but times have shifted now and when when you have when you're allowed to have more options people are going to find other things to do you know if you if you have a saltine cracker for lunch every day for five years and then somebody shows up with a ritz you're going to say you know what i'm i'm gonna go for a ritz now i love ritz that that, that works for me (laughs) exactly so um i think by us making the church more accessible to people because people are on the go more you know at, at one time you know stores would be closed on Sundays. Sure. You know, there was no such thing as a 24-hour Walmart. Or, right. You know, so things things change, and we have to be able to adapt to it. You know, the dinosaurs didn't adapt to their surrounds, and, they, and they're extinct. The social stigmas change. Uh, uh, my grandmother, uh, I'm, I'm 56 years old, so I, I grew up, born in 61, I grew up primarily in, in the mid to late 70s. Uh, my grandmother would get very upset with my father, the pastor of the church, for allowing his son to play football on a Sunday afternoon and and not insist that every Sunday afternoon you go back to church. And we had church, we, we had Sunday school at 9, uh, 9.30 every Sunday morning. We had worship at 11 o'clock. Uh, we had BTU for as long as it lasted. It, it, it was on its way out as I was growing up. We had BTU at 5 o'clock, and we had Sunday worship at 6 o'clock. And my grandmother could not believe that, that her son, the pastor, would not insist that his children uh, be in uh, Sunday evening worship every Sunday. Uh, Charles, you're letting those children go straight to hell. <laughs> so, uh, so, so there was a social stigma attached to this whole thing. Well, that social stigma doesn't exist anymore. Uh, uh, people, for better or worse, right or wrong, whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, people try to find ways to make Sunday worship and church participation fit into the other aspects of their lifestyle. Uh, I remember uh, very vividly when when Pastor Charles Smith, my father, started an early morning worship here. It, it was it was the year uh, two thousand. And uh, Shiloh had always been a traditional 11 o'clock worship experience, and the congregation had grown to the point that it warranted a second worship. And he never thought that the 8 o'clock worship would, 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 would grow faster than the 11 o'clock worship. But here we are 17 years later, and still consistently, 8 o'clock is the better attended worship experience of the two. And it is because you can go to worship at 8 o'clock. You can go to Sunday school if you choose to at 9.30, and you have the rest of your day to do with what you please. It is, it is not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of 
giving people options and then having to adapt to the choices that they make based upon the options that you provide. And, and so I see uh, our audio video ministry as vital to being able to provide newer, greater, better options uh, to succeeding generations of people. Uh, when, when, when we uh, were called to this church in 2013, uh, one of the first major uh, shifts that we made was that we put screens in the sanctuary. Now, screens have been uh, a part of uh, more contemporary sanctuaries for a long, long time. Uh, but uh, my father was resistant to the idea of screen. You, you don't need no screens on worship experience. What, what you gonna do with that? That's an unnecessary experience. But, but what to some might seem to be uh, lavish and unnecessary to younger people, it's just a part of who they are. Mm -hmm. they, they do everything with a screen. They, they hold a screen in their hands. It's not just watching television on a screen. They, 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 they like to be able to manipulate mm -hmm. the, the experience that they are having, whether that experience be shopping or whether that experience be reading uh, about news. Nobody reads a newspaper. I do, but nobody else reads a newspaper anymore. Or whether that experience be worship. Now, that moves me in, into a different question to ask you because you, you are uniquely qualified to discuss this. Uh, uh, the the difficulties in uh, facilities uh, management when it comes to incorporating new and uh, updated technology into existing uh, facilities. Shiloh was built, uh, the sanctuary was built in 1972. Uh, the uh, educational center was built in 1996. Tell us about some of the struggles that we have had uh, to incorporate uh, 21st century technology in what are essentially 20th century facilities. Um, well, the biggest thing is because the architecture, you know, when they when they built the church, they didn't envision, you know, having screens up and putting monitors up. And these things weren't common in the 70s. You know, you couldn't envision having, like you said, your dad would be like, what you need that for? And, you know, you think about it, 30, 40 years ago, nobody, that wasn't a, a thing, you know. So um, with it, you have, to, you have to try to be extremely creative as far as adapting your current brick and mortar structure to, you know, 21st century technology and, and incorporating it. Um, I think the, the good thing is, as, as recently as, as the last five or six years, and people know this, technology is starting to to make itself more accessible where you know even if you remember 20 years ago a camera might have cost twenty thousand dollars sure and now you can get cameras for six seven hundred dollars those are minimal expenses but they're things that you can that, that you can use that that bring your church into this new century um it, it does take the know-how of actually knowing how to maneuver things i know when we first had the screens installed here where they currently are behind that was where the speakers were. Right. So you have to, you know, you have to have uh, a good team around you, which we were, we were blessed to, to have people who, who knew how to look at things and say, we could move that here and it could still work. 
so these are things that, that I think that, that we were uh, consistently blessed with as far as just having the minds that can look at a place and say, okay, we can take the speakers from behind that wall, put them over here, put your screens there, and you don't lose anything. Yeah, it, it, it does not ruin. Shiloh is, is an absolutely beautiful sanctuary, even though it was built in 1972. It still maintains its beauty even today. And we didn't want to do anything that took away from the beauty of, of the sanctuary as it existed. And I've, I've always been resistant when I go into sanctuaries where people have tried to retrofit, I guess that's the word for it, mm-hmm. uh, uh, modern technology into older facilities. And it just looks out of place. Mm-hmm. You, you, you see projectors uh, where they're exposed and people see them. And, and we were blessed to be able to put those things in places where they are concealed from the public, does not detract from the beauty of the sanctuary, and yet provides a certain degree of functionality. Now, we've also had troubles and trials and tribulations uh, when it comes uh, to getting Wi-Fi uh, into the church. Uh, we, we, we recognize the importance, you know, when cell phones became all the rage, people we're saying, turn off your cell phone when you come in the church. Well, we, we don't say that because we provide Wi-Fi. We want people to be able to use the Wi-Fi uh, while they're in the sanctuary. But talk about some of the trials and tribulations that we've had with Wi-Fi and, and hardwire versus wireless. Mm, yeah, um, and and I'm not sure if it has anything to do with just, you know, the, the, the building structure as a whole, but because um, I'm... I'm not versed as far as I don't think we have lead paint here still. No, okay. not not in the sanctuary. No. Okay, but I, and I don't know if it's you know a lot of concrete that's in there as well too. But um, there has been ups and downs with um, with the Wi-Fi signals and having to break off into different channels per se. Um, it, there are some trial and error things where we had to figure out. Okay, we need a separate channel for congregation and a separate channel for. The tech side so that way they're not intertwined and they're not bumping each other off and everything um, a lot of it is just you kind of got to put it out there see what works and move from there you know if it doesn't work you try to find a way to rework it um, even with live stream we um, we launched live stream and then we lost it for about a month right and it was because the the company that we we were using they upgraded their software so then our hard equipment was now out of date we didn't know that. Right. So we just come in one day trying to log in and boop, nothing, nothing coming up. Right. So then you have to, you know, you have to take time, get on the phone with your company and, you know, troubleshoot this, troubleshoot that. You come to find out you need to upgrade this. So there, there's, there's always, when you're dealing with technology, because technology changes and shifts so much, you have to try to stay ahead of the curve. And that's what I've learned over the last few years, too, is that you got to always kind of look two or three years down the line to see, okay, What's going to what's going to be out of date in two or three years? Or, you know, do we need to update this now or can this wait, you know, five or six years from now? So it's it's really just a, a balancing act as far as the importance of one thing as opposed to the minimization of another thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you also have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, you have a congregation of people uh, who you have told we're going to be able to do this thing. Uh, and then when it doesn't work, they're, they're, hmm. they're quick to come back and say, you said we were going to do this. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, why can't we do that? Uh, the church where my sister goes, they have it. And, and my uncle's had it for a long time. 
And, and, and people are quick uh, to, to be critical of the fact that we have technical difficulties, but I'm not sure that everybody uh, is fully aware of just uh, how difficult it is uh, to take 21st century technology and retrofit it to a building uh, for which there was no concept for it at all. And, and uh, uh, the challenge of doing that, I'm sure, uh, provides you with, with, with a lot of opportunities to use your creative mind. Yeah, it, it definitely keeps me on my toes. Um, and I always look at challenges as, as something good because it, it, it can prove to you how good you can be at something. You never know if you can achieve something if everything just comes easy. So I'm always excited about new challenges. I never shy away from a challenge. It doesn't make me say, oh, I, don't, I think that's too hard. I mean, I know we've had conversations before where you'll say, well, are you sure? I'm like, well, I'll find a way. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm always determined to try to see if, if we can. Yeah. And more than likely, um, we do find a way to, to make things work and make them work effectively. Well, let's talk about the other aspect of, 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 of what you do. You, you are the technology guru for the church, uh, but you're also the person who uh, supervises uh, the in-house sound staff and, and audio equipment uh, and that is being used uh, during the Sunday worship experience, the screens that we now have, uh, the in-house Wi-Fi, uh, and making sure that the microphones uh, work in the appropriate places at the appropriate times. And that involves coordination not just with the staff that you have developed in the audiovisual ministry, but also working with uh, the music ministry staff. I know, as pastor of the church, that I don't cause you any grief at all. I never, uh, I never ask you for anything that's unreasonable. But I, I'm sure that 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 as as you have to deal with different people who have different expectations from their own ministry, wanting to maximize their own potential, uh, finding a way to provide them with what they need so that they feel like they can uh, do their job with excellence. I'm sure that that's a challenge also. Um, yeah, it can be. Um, I think anytime, I, again, within the industry, again, I think the most difficult thing that you're always going to run across is the people aspect. You know, machines are easy when it, as far as just in terms of dealing with them. Um, but people, you know, they have their own personalities, their own, their own temperament. And they like things their way, and and you have to try to uh, custom fit it. Um, I just I, I mean, in a black Baptist church, <laughs> everybody doesn't always agree, and we don't always <laughs> just say praise the Lord, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. You mean we actually uh, have discussions and arguments and disagreements about things? Oh, really? I'm shocked and amazed. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> that sarcasm, if anybody <laughs> can't see this. Um, no, but and 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 it, it's natural. Um, a lot of things, you know, people will say things. People, but at the end of the day, you have to say, you know, it's not personal. And I I rarely take things personal because I understand that, especially when you're dealing with musicians. Musicians again are that's a creative side, mm -hmm. you know. And I know how it is to be creative because if if you edit video and things, you have to be creative with that as well too. But musicians are a creative bunch of people, and you can't hold that against them. You, if if they, they they could go off on you one second and the next second they'll say 
hey, how you doing? You know, want to go get some lunch? And that, that, that's how I try to approach things is, you know, um, as long as I, I feel like no one can really be upset with you if they know that you're at least trying. Sure. And I always make sure that I put the effort out there that, you know, we're all on the same team and that, you know, no matter what happens, I, I have your best interest at heart. You know, I'm, I'm not going to try to have you sounding bad because I'm because I'm having a bad day. Right. I want the music ministry to sound good as well, too, because if they don't sound good, then that that affects what I do. Right. So it's in my best interest to always make sure that they have everything they need and want. And along the way, I also put out my advice as well, too. You know, if 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 it's something, you know, on the tech side that I can say, well, I know you want it this way, but if we do it this way for the for the greater good, it's going to make you sound better. It's going to make you look better. It's not a it's not a it's not too many arguments that I have about that. Um, for the most part, it's just about developing trust amongst each other as well, too. And I think that once you do that, people work with you a lot better, mm -hmm. you know, especially, again, if they know that your intentions are good. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's the that, that's that's how I try to deal with with musicians in the music ministry is that, you know, we may not always see that you see exactly eye to eye, but we're both after the same thing. You sure. want to sound good and I want to make sure you sound good. Sure. You're listening to or watching the Thrive Podcast <laughs> with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm sitting here talking with Terrence Turner, the director of the audiovisual ministry for our church. Shifting gears, Terrence, talk a little bit about how you arrived at Shiloh. I know that you weren't raised in Shiloh. Mm -hmm. How did you come to be a part of the Shiloh family? Well, I was I was actually um, referred, um, as I understood it, because um, I, I got here in 2009. Um, my background was television. I worked at uh, WBRZ, and I was a promotions producer for WGMB, Fox 44, and NBC 33. Um, and I was referred here um, by uh, Damian Hurd. Um, Shiloh, I think... Um, I'm not sure who reached out to him, but he was he was doing um, he was doing video production, just freelancing and everything. And um, they reached out to him to help train them as far as um, just kind of stepping into that. They were already broadcasting on television before, and but they were looking to, I guess, uh, shift gears a little bit. They had a team already, but they wanted to train their own people. And um, I was referenced by him. So I came in and that was the beginning of it. Uh, and initially it was just, you know, filming twice a month because mm -hmm. um, your dad was a little bit longer <laughs> in the full fit. And, yeah. and they, they had 30 minute broadcast. Right. So, of course, he his whole sermon in the choir selection wasn't going to fit in 30 minutes, you know. So it was split up into part one, part two. That's how I would normally do it. So it, it, it was only filming twice a month, really. Um, and then more and more, just me being around, um, I got asked, hey, well, you think we can do this? You think? And it just kind of just expanded from just doing television to, hey, well, can you sit in on this meeting with this? Or we're, and, you know, I always obliged because, again, um, when, I, when I first got here, nobody treated me like I was just working here. Mm -hmm. They all treated me like they knew me from birth. And that always, that always uh, rubbed me in, in, in the correct way, in the right way. Um, you know, people who I didn't even know 
knew my name and they would come and hey brother Turner hey brother and I'm like do we know each other <laughs> but it was always just a warm environment so um it, it stuck with me and you know I just started I started coming to different events and making sure that those got filmed and archived because the thing about church in general and, and history in general if you're not recording them once they're done they're gone right but I said you know it would be cool if we actually had records of this so I mean we have you know, Christmas programs from the past. We've filmed Easter programs. It's a lot of just even special events outside of just regular Black worship service. Programs. Black history programs. Um, th there's, a, there's a lot that we now have archived so that we can now look back on and say, remember this from 20 years ago? And, yeah. it's, and I wanted to make sure it was done correctly. Um, one of the other first things that I did, um, I, I studied, um, again, other religious programs to see what I liked about them, what I didn't like about them. Mm -hmm. And then I studied what Shiloh was currently doing with their programming on television. And I noticed one thing is that it didn't have a personality. It just would come on and say, church, Shiloh, choir, that's it, go home. Right. And I wanted to give it that feel where you felt like not only were you in church, but it was something that you were excited to watch. Mm -hmm. That, and that, that, that felt like it was a production mm -hmm. and not to, you know, not to cheapen it, but I wanted it to feel of, of high quality. Like somebody really took their time in it. I didn't want it to feel like somebody just slopped something together. Right. And that's the vibe that I got before I got here. Cause I studied for like a week or two, just watching other religious programs. I spent a whole Sunday, one Sunday, just watching everything that came on. Right. And, I wanted to stand out What's from that. What's the major difference to you between local broadcasts and national and international broadcasts? I mean, certainly, uh, I think the Chicago puts together an excellent product, but this is not uh, the Potter's House. This is this is not uh, Joel Osteen, uh, and 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 the production levels are different. I would venture to say I don't want to be the Potter's House. I don't want to be Joe Osteen. Those ministries have uh, their agendas, have their goals. Shiloh is different. We are in, in a traditional African-American Baptist church uh, trying to share uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to primarily a traditional African-American audience. Mm -hmm. do, do you agree with that? No, I, I definitely agree with that. And um, production level aside, um, if you don't mind me saying, you actually make it easier for me because you're a very brandable person. And what I mean by that is that um, there's no facade about you. So it makes it easy to put you on TV. It makes it easy to promote Shiloh as a whole because you take the time to actually delve into things from a deeper perspective. Um, you and I even did the um, uh, like a conversation piece and you're talking about your favorite movies on yeah. there, your favorite sports teams on yes. there. And I felt like that was important to put that out there because when people traditionally think of, you know, the, the, the pastor of a church, a minister, they think you guys wake up in the morning, eat communion crackers and drink communion juice, <laughs> read the Bible, and that's it. Right. And I think when people feel like, you know, no, it's an actual person here too. And, and they, they like things too, and they, they're relatable. I think that makes it easier for people to relate to the program. Um, production level aside, um, I never aspired for it to look like the Potter's House or 
or Joel Osteen because to me that feels like a facade, mm-hmm. if you don't mind me saying. Don't mind that there's a there's a there's a genuineness about Shiloh. When you when you tune into it, you feel like you're there. And as I said, when I first started filming here, no one treated me like I was just filming here. They treated me like they knew me. They treated me like they cared about me. And that's the vibe that I want people to get, even when they're watching the, the, the television broadcast, whether they're watching it on YouTube, they're live streaming it, they're watching it on TV, or they're even listening to the podcast or the radio program for that matter. I want them to feel like the people of that church are, are a community. And community isn't the person that stays next door to you. The community isn't just proximity. Right. The community is people who gather around you in your time of need. They also celebrate your victories with you. And that's what Shiloh is. But it's easy to promote that because, like I said, that's the, the trend that, that you kind of set for everyone. And you come across very genuine. Anybody who, who meets you, you're, you're a genuine person. You, you shake their hand. You say, hey, how you doing? It's not, hello, how are you? And, you don't get that vibe, but that's that's what's out there. You know, if, if you talk to a lot of people my age, younger, they feel like the church is probably stiff. They feel like, you know, there's there's a lot of phoniness and fakeness there. So it's always refreshing when they see genuineness. And that's that's what made me do the conversation pieces with you, because we talked for like an hour and then I just broke them down and... Right. You know, as I told you even back then, I think it's important for people to see how how much fun you actually are, too. That you don't, they think that it's just, like I said, you wake up in the morning, eat communion crackers, drink communion juice, read the Bible, and go to sleep. Yeah, well, for those who don't know, I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> uh, we're only on a 22, 23-year drought. We're going to be back in the Super Bowl very, very soon. You just wait and see. And as far as movies are concerned, you can't beat Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Godfather 3. They are, without question, the best movies out there. And there's a lot of theology in the Godfather movies. <laughs> Just wanted to get that out. I had to put that in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Shiloh is a traditional African-American Baptist church trying to reach a contemporary generation of people and audio, video, ministry, and opportunities, social media opportunities, I think are vital to that. Back in November, uh, my wife, Reverend Demetria Jones-Smith, and I uh, traveled to Charlotte, North Carolina to attend a church growth conference uh, that was sponsored by Pastor Clifford Jones and the Friendship Baptist Church of that community. And uh, one of the classes that we took had to do with reaching uh, younger generations of, of Christian people. And uh, one of the points that the facilitator uh, harped on was the fact that uh, there is not just a, a difference in ages, but that there's a difference in thought process and in behavior with regard to uh, how young people approach church. Younger people are not terribly interested in denomination. They don't care whether you're Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal. uh, uh, Those things are not vital to their worship experience. Uh, Not only that, they're not terribly interested in 
getting engaged in or having to be party to any kind of controversy within uh, the local congregation. Uh, they're not going to come to church meetings as, as uh, pastors are, are, are known to come around and talk about things that happened in their church meeting and this one took the floor and that. Young people don't do that. Mm-hmm. Young people simply, if, if, if they sense that something's going on that, that does not uh, fit well with, it, with their spirit, they simply go someplace else. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they have no problem leaving. To, to use a, a, a marketing term, uh, they're not brand loyal. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they, they're not interested in uh, the kinds of uh, traditional uh, squabbles, fights, turf wars uh, that, that have been a part, a staple of the African-American uh, church experience. And I'm not suggesting that that's all that there is to African-American church experience, but certainly uh, that's a reality of it. Uh, and, and the point that the facilitator was trying to make to us is that you have to know who you're talking to, who you're dealing with, uh, and how to reach that individual. And the way that you reach that individual is not the same as the way that you reach people uh, from your own generation. He made the point, and I'm sure I'm, I'm not going to get them all right, but he said that for the first time in the history of the African-American church, uh, churches are trying to serve five separate generations of, of, of African-American people all mm-hmm. at one time. And that's a very difficult act uh, to, to, to accomplish. That, that's a very difficult thing to, to get done when you're trying to make sure that your church appeals to the old heads, the traditional, the stable, the 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 financially supportive uh, group on one end, and yet you also want to reach out to young adults, younger adults, teenagers uh, on the other end. How do you see audiovisual ministry helping us to accomplish that? Well, with the audiovisual ministry's um, goal in that is. It is quite a balancing act because if you have someone who's maybe in their 70s on this scale and then you got somebody who's 18 on this scale, that's a lifetime apart. Um, or two. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's a huge gap in time because what's important to this 18-year-old, the 70-year-old don't care about. Right. And vice versa. Right. So how, how do you tackle that? But the 70-year-old is saying, the 18-year-old ain't putting no money in church. This is true. I, I'm, I, I, I give my tithe mm-hmm. to the church, and so you should pay more attention to my concerns, Pastor, than you should to that 18-year-old's concern. And the the thing with that is, um, the 70-year-old has to realize too. Well, what happens when when you're gone? You know, you're closer, and that that doesn't. That's not me trying to sound morbid. <laughs> that's just a reality of yeah. the fact. And and we have to always think about the future. You know. My place here, I have to think about the future. So that's why, you know, I try to incorporate people who are younger than me, even in the audiovisual ministry, because I'm 34. Uh, an 18 year old, you know, they grew up in technology. So even though I've been involved in technology for, you know, the better part of my life, they grew up with it. At age four, they were typing. So these things, we, we have to, we can't look at it like, you know, pay more attention to me because. I may be giving more because I've been here for 20 or 30 years. We have to also reinforce the, the notion that, you know, the church has to survive 
and 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 thrive survive and thrive do more than just survive we have to thrive yes because if if we're not thriving then when when things happen in the community i said i said this you know when we first started the church especially in the black community has been the cornerstone of the community so if we're not if that's not surviving and thriving then when there's tragedy in the community people always look toward the church anyway so we have to we have to keep that in mind that yes the 18 year old may not be putting any money in the church but who they are at 18 is not who they're going to be at 25 yes and who they are at 25 isn't going to be who they are at 35. the only constant in their life you know you grow up with your parents that's a constant and if you were if you're 18 and you're you're in the church you're in there basically by way of your parents but something is going to stick and if you're 18 in the church, more than likely at 25, you'll be in the church too. Your mindset has changed. So, yes, we may say, you know, the 70-year-old is, is giving more in the church and the 18-year-old ain't, ain't putting nothing in. Right. But at 25, who's to say where that 18-year-old will be when they're 25 and what they'll be doing? Right. They might be more active. So it's our job to make sure that we're constantly planting the seed in their head that you know, this is your home, this is your community, and you have to reinvest in your community. I think we should take a lesson from even um, right after the, the Civil Rights Movement ended. Um, when segregation ended, the black community flocked to everybody else's business because we were allowed to go there right. now. You know, we- It was we, novel, it was new. Exactly, yeah. we, we, we left our restaurants that we built, we left them behind, we left right. our schools behind. And that's why if you go to any city in America right now, there are dilapidated buildings, there's, you know, abandoned buildings, the houses are falling out because we left. We left our own stuff to go in and patronize someone else's things. So it's the same mentality. Right. You know, we just have to apply that that lesson that we, you know, that happened 40, 50 years ago when we when we left our own businesses. Because if you think about it, there were more black businesses in the civil rights movement than there are now. Yes. And if we would have kept on that and track. pre-civil rights. Yes. Because, because you had no option. Yeah, no choice. But now think if we would have kept on that track and, and even though we were allowed to go other places, but say we would have still had the same energy towards our own home base with our own businesses, with our own community based stuff. Mm-hmm. Where would black where would the black community in this country be economically now? Yes. So that's the same reason that we have to we have to make sure that we impart in our seventy year old members that this is true. But we have to look at the future as well too we're in the present we have to look at the future and that's not to push them out the door that's not to disregard their feelings but we have to tell them hey it's we, we want to appeal to everyone right. we want you to be excited about church the same way we want the 18 year old to be excited about church um i did a conversation piece with uh with the co-minister of music lawrence here and that's one of the things that he actually touched on is that you know, on his first Sunday, uh, the, the first Sunday in the month when he when he directs the choir, he appeals to the, more of the older traditional right. group. And then on the second Sunday, he says you'll get more of a contemporary sound, but then we'll mix it in with a hymn. So that's not to ostracize anybody. And I I really liked what he said when he said that. And that's kind of the balance that we do here. So I want to make sure that we we have we load up content online because that's where the younger people are. They're always on their phone. So if they're on the YouTube channel, I want to give them a reason to go to the YouTube right. channel. So we not only put the worship services on the YouTube channel, but we put like the conversation pieces. We put 
Christmas concerts, right. things of that nature that they may actually want to see. Right. You know, there are a lot of things that are, that are available to see on the YouTube channel that Shiloh does. But a 70-year-old, they may only want to watch it on TV, right. which is fine. So we want to make sure that they're engaged on TV as well, too. So even in service, we want to make sure that it's not loaded with technology where they feel like they're being overwhelmed, right. but that it's, it's us moving in the future. Yeah. And and we're bringing them with us, but we're also reinvesting in the ones that are coming behind us. What do you think uh, is going to happen to, I, I've said several times already, and I said in the previous broadcast, and we'll continue to say, Shiloh is a traditional African-American congregation, but we are living in a time uh, where uh, those entities, those institutions, those organizations that are traditionally african American uh, are being compromised or are being weakened, if, if I can use that term, uh, because people are making decisions to become a part of, uh, of majority-led congregation. I'm trying to find the, the most politically correct way to say it. I, I follow. Say. Black folk are joining churches that are led by by, by white pastors. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, and I fully recognize and acknowledge the fact that every person has the right to worship where the Lord leads them to worship. But I also recognize that church is more than just a, a theological institution. It's more than just a theological pursuit. That, that much of what takes place in the church uh, is steeped in our culture and our traditions and our experience. And when you leave the traditional African-American church, regardless of denomination, when you leave the traditional African-American church and go to a majority uh, pastored church or a majority uh, uh, church uh, where the congregation is, is primarily of a different race, mm -hmm. uh, you're abandoning a lot of the traditions uh, that, that, that were in the African-American church that, and your children will not be privy to those traditions. And so there will be a greater difficulty to move those traditions forward. Now, historically, uh, uh, especially in, in, in the late 70s and early 80s, and probably still now, I just don't see it as much now as I used to, uh, people make fun of those traditions. They, they make fun of the way that we worship. They make fun of, of, of getting happy in church or how long church lasts or how the preacher preaches. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not upset by, by uh, the comedic aspects of it. Some of it is funny. I watch it and I laugh myself. But I think that what is lost in that, what, what is lost in, 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 in trying to find uh, the comedy in that is that there is a value in that. That, that, that is perhaps not exclusively theological, but is cultural. Mm -hmm. And it goes all the way back to our roots in Africa. Uh, now, I'm not asking you as an audio-visual minister of the church. I'm asking you as a young African-American man who has made the choice to become a part of this church family. What do you think about where the traditional African-American church is going? Um, I would say... Well, one thing we, we always have to kind of remember this, too, is that as you get older, you start becoming your parents, whether you want to admit it or not, you, you do. 
I'm pretty sure now at your age, you're doing stuff that you found that... I hear him <laughs> in, in some of the things that I say, yes. And it yes. shocks you. You say, yes. oh, that's my dad. Yeah. But it's there now. And, and now it's who you are. Yes. So we also have to, we have to remember, too, um, that younger people are going to be younger people until they turn into their parents. And then you start leaning back on those traditions that you grew up in because it's a familiarity to it. Um, it's the same concept I even, I even said with the end of segregation. We can't allow ourselves just as the black community to, to, to do what we, we already, we already saw that didn't work because we abandoned our stuff and we made everybody else's right. stuff more powerful. And now we have no power. Right. So it's the same thing, even with the church. Um, you also have to remember that if, if, if you're, if you're black, if you're African-American and you're going to a church that may not may not take up your 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 what's going on with you culturally especially in this country especially in this in this climate that we live in now they may not be as sensitive to what's going on with you and you have to think about that and say well you're supposed to be here for me and that's why I also like that that you push holistic ministry where it's not just about preaching about going to heaven, but how are you here now on earth? And that's, that's something that I think that they, they will miss because how can they identify with that? You know, a, to put it bluntly, a white minister is not going to be able to minister to a young black male about society. The, what it means to be a young black male in America. They're, they're not going to be able to, to they, they can maybe show empathy towards you, right. but can, can you go in that preacher's office and talk to him about you got pulled over by the cops last night wrongfully right. because you were in the quote unquote wrong neighborhood, right. even though you live in that neighborhood. Right. And are they going to understand where you're coming from? Can they really honestly understand how you feel? And the answer is going to be no. I don't I don't know anyone that can that can talk to you like that. Now, I'm pretty sure if it was me, I could come in and talk to you about that. And you could say, I understand. Yes. It's happened to me. Yes. And and be genuine about it. But if I went in and talked to a 56-year-old white minister about if I got pulled over by the cops, what would they say? What are they going to say to me? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So, so, so these are the things that we have to, that we have to keep in mind constantly um, is does this hold my best interest at heart? You know, will, will they understand where I'm coming from culturally as well, too? And that's the thing that I think that escapes some people. I think they get so excited about, oh, I'm going over here. They have this and they have that. And, oh, you know, they get blinded by lights right. and they're not looking at, OK, but what's the DNA of it? What's the structure of it? You know, cosmetically, fine. Cosmetically is, is going to have you thinking this or that or whatever. But what's what's underneath all that? You know, do you have are you eating a mayonnaise sandwich? Mayonnaise sandwich might fill you up for two seconds. But after that, you're hungry again. Or do you actually have something that's going to stick to your ribs? Do you actually have something that's going to actually be able to to fully understand your concerns and your needs while you're here on Earth? Right. I like your terminology. What's the DNA of it? Um, and I'm hoping uh, that as we progress into 2018 and beyond, uh, that Shiloh is able to continue to find uh, different avenues, different paths, different ways <clears throat> of remaining relevant uh, 
and speaking to those issues uh, because I think that it is vital uh, to succeeding generations that they have a worship place that is not only doctrinally sound, but is also civically, culturally aware of the things that are going on and how they impact us uniquely as a race of people. Uh, Shiloh has a history of benevolence, has a history of service, and has a history of speaking truth to power, not in a belligerent or, or, or uh, angry way, but in a way of love and in a way of trying to help others understand who we are and uh, the fact that we too have a contribution to make the, to this community. Okay, final thing. Uh, this is Fred Jeff Smith, uh, and this is the Thrive Broad, not broadcast. This is the Thrive Podcast uh, with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm sitting here talking, having a very constructive uh, and interesting uh, conversation with Terrence Turner, uh, who directs our audio video ministry here at the church. Final thing that I wanted to uh, to talk to you about, Terrence, today, uh, has to do with the fact that as as this podcast is being uh, recorded, uh, we are uh, five days out from the celebration of the Martin Luther King holiday. Uh, can you tell me, as a young man who only knew Martin Luther King from history books and from uh, speeches that you have seen and heard on television and on recordings, uh, what is the impact of Martin Luther King Day and Martin Luther King to you? Um, to me personally, um, it's, it's a day where I try to reflect on where we are. Um, I think just in the bigger term, if we're talking just outside of, of how I view Martin Luther King as far as how I feel that he, he definitely shook up the world, he definitely changed the world. Um, not sure where we would be as a people had he not done, uh, did, did what he did and the approach that he took. Not sure where we would be in America, per se. Um, I do believe that his memory has, has been kind of, I'm not gonna say the word tainted, but has been softened. I think he's been minimized to just I have a dream speech, and I think that he was way bigger than that. I think that he was, he was a lot bigger than that. I think his, his vision was bigger than just I have a dream. And I feel like um, that's what's just been kind of promoted to us in the black community, and we have to stop allowing ourselves to be defined by other people. And I think that's, you know, major media outlets, I think, define him just with I have a dream speech. He did, he did many other speeches as well, too. He also, you know, he, I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but um, it's an excerpt out of a speech where, and I think it was one of his last speeches that he did before he went uh, to Memphis, um, where he was saying how, you know, you can't, a man can't ride your back unless you bend it for him. Yes. And that, you know, this it's is... on the night before he was assassinated. Yes, and, and um, he also said that, you know, we can't look to the government to fix this problem. We have to fix it ourselves. Yes. That's not something that's promoted as much that I have a dream speech. Right. And I think just as time goes on, you see a lot of things in lot. history get slanted. You know, 
when Muhammad Ali was was protesting, you know, he was public enemy public enemy number one. Right. And then in his later years in his life, he was regarded as, you know, America's hero in this. But that wasn't how you promoted him then. And I think that they a lot of people missed the point of of what Martin Luther King was about and why he was doing what he was doing. You know, one of the things that he wanted to affect was was the economic structure in the country, because he realized a long time ago that that is that is a power base. Yes. That's a tool to obtain power. And it's something that we as we in the black community were lacking and how do we achieve that well he you know he was one of the architects along with you know reverend tj jemison here in baton rouge that was that was the blueprint and he took that blueprint onto birmingham with the bus boycott right and somewhere along the way i feel like um we lost that in the, in the community as far as you know we we took the marching aspect and that has 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 made it you know that that's that's kept going on but the purpose of that was a sustained boycott. Right. It wasn't just about getting out there marching with picket signs. Right. That was the cosmetic part of it. And but what what was the DNA of it? What was yes. the structure of it? Yes. And the structure of it was to affect change. The structure of it was, this is what you deem important, which is economics. We're going to affect that to get our point across. We get our point across, then we have change. Right. And I, I see a lot of that now. You know, even you know, anytime something happens. The first thing you know our community wants to do is we're going to protest and march. Well, that that's good for two hours, but what happens after that? Right. What happens after the march? Everybody goes home and goes back to work, and right. we're all back to normal. Right. That's not what Martin Luther King was about, and I think that um, that that's what I remember. You know, as as the holiday goes on, um, I make sure that you know if if nothing else, I even make sure that I take the day off to observe. You know, because I feel like that's an, that's an important American holiday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if we're going to really celebrate him, we have to start changing our ideals about how we approach things, because that's what he would have wanted. He wouldn't have wanted us to settle in and be comfortable in where we are now. He would want us to continue to try to make change so we can we can achieve what his ultimate goal was, which is true equality. Um, I agree with everything you just said, that uh, the goal was systemic change. Not simply changing of certain laws, but changing uh, systems uh, that uh, guide this nation and and guide the economy of this nation. It should not be lost on anyone uh, that at the time of his assassination, he along with others were organizing a poor people's campaign, uh, a march on Washington that had not to do with uh, desegregation, but had to do with affirming the rights of poor people, not just poor black people or poor Negroes, but poor people uh, of every race, color, and hue. And certainly I I would hope that it would not be lost on uh, people uh, that Martin Luther King was a black Baptist preacher Mm -hmm. and that his roots were in the African-American church. The traditional African-American church. The traditional African-American church. And uh, that uh, the ethic of love and service to mankind is rooted not just in the teachings of Gandhi. Everyone talks about uh, how, uh, how great an impact Gandhi had upon Dr. King's philosophy, but it's also rooted in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would hope 
that as we move forward, we would recognize uh, that Dr. King's philosophy actually mobilized and gave animation and gave life and gave air and breath uh, and relevance uh, to the gospel of holistic ministry that Jesus Christ espoused. Terrence, thank you for sharing with us uh, today. Uh, thank you for watching and listening to our Thrive podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, we do this once a week, and we hope that you will be listening and watching next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Thrive podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Next week, we welcome Reverend Demetria Jones-Smith, Minister of Christian Education. Until next time.